So it's April 1891, and we are in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, which is a city of about 10,000 people right on the edge of the frontier. And this woman named Mary Nevins Blaine and her young son are standing in front of the Cataract House Hotel, which is the nicest hotel for hundreds of miles. It's a four-story brick building. It has these beautiful pointed parlors. It has uh, steam heat and electric bells and an elevator service. Uh, But the reason Mary is here is completely unexpected. She is 24 at this point. She is here with her young son, but she is here without her husband. She's here for a reason that is going to, frankly, shock the whole country. uh, Because she has come for a divorce. I'm April White, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today, I'm here to tell you the story of the divorce colony how the small frontier city of Sioux Falls, South Dakota, drew in socialites and celebrities who were desperate to end their marriages. And how, in the process, they sparked a fiery debate that forever changed the country's attitudes about divorce. We head to the divorce colony and meet one of the women who ended her marriage there. After this. When was the last time I took a road trip? How many national parks could I hit in two weeks? What about hotels? Wait, hey, Erica, how much am I spending on travel? When your questions about life turn into questions about money, there's Erica, the virtual financial assistant to help you spend, save, and plan smarter. Only from Bank of America. What would you like the power to do? Erica is only available in the English language. You must download the latest version of the mobile banking app, only available on select mobile devices. Your chat may be recorded and monitored for quality assurance. Message and data rates and additional terms may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites, along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. So I'm going to... I'm going to give you an alley-oop. I'm going to ask a, a question that'll get us right into this. Who was Mary Nevins Blaine? So in 1886, she was Mary Nevins. She was 19 years old, and she was this smart and savvy girl who had big dreams. She wanted to be an actress, and she imagined herself center stage, an opera singer. But she was also this impetuous teenage girl. So that summer, she's on vacation in Augusta, Maine, and she meets a boy. And 18 days later, this boy, Jamie Blaine, is her husband. Mm, Short courtship. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Jamie was the son of a really prominent family, uh, the Blaines. And his father was James Gillespie Blaine Sr., who was, at the time, a former senator, perpetual presidential candidate, and sort of the standard bearer for the Republican Party. And uh, 
Jamie was uh, only 17 at this point, and he was a handful. He was very much the black sheep of the Blaine family, and he'd already been kicked out of at least three prep schools. Um, he liked to drink. He liked pranks in which things were stolen. He liked choir <laughs> girls. Um, he was he was a bit of a handful. Okay, so two teenagers meet. <laughs> they date for two, about two, a little over two weeks, almost three. Yeah, and then they get married. How did their parents feel about this? Oh, no one was happy. Right away, the parents had objections, and that's something that was going to plague them for the rest of their marriage. But they're young and in love, so the first couple years actually go okay. But the realities of what it takes to lead an independent life and lead a married life creep up pretty quick. So you see Jamie has a hard time holding down a job. They have mounting bills. Mary has a baby, which adds a lot of extra pressure to this young couple. And it doesn't help that the national media, because of who Jamie's family is, are interested in every step and every detail of their marriage. And ultimately what happens is Jamie is off flirting and she decides she can't live like this and that she and her young son have to leave. Okay, so so Mary decides that she's got to get out. What are even her options at this point? Can she even, it's the 1800s, can she get a divorce? Maybe. Uh, It depends a lot on where you live, what the laws are, but it also depends a lot on your social circle, on your economic circumstances, on your religious community. There are a lot of pressures not to get a divorce. For Mary, she could get a divorce legally, with proof of adultery. Uh, She didn't have that. Right. She had to figure out uh, another solution. It took her a little bit of time to get there, but uh, she decided to go to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Okay. Which doesn't seem necessarily like a natural choice (laughs) when you need to leave your marriage. The obvious move. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Uh, Why did did she go to, to Sioux Falls? Um, South Dakota at the time was the easiest place in the country to get a divorce. And Sioux Uh Falls is the easiest place to get to from the east. And it also has the nicest hotel. Uh But easy is not that easy. She's going to have to stay there for three months to get her residency just to file for the divorce. Then she will have to wait out the court proceedings as well. So Mary travels there in the spring of 1891. And this is right at the beginning of what would become known as the divorce colony. She is one of the first colonists. South Dakota only becomes a state in 1889. Right, okay. Um, So we're we're only just starting this American history of this area. Um, However, you have a lot of people who have moved out there and have what we sort of think of as that pioneer spirit, which is to say... They're kind of upstart, they're go-getters, they're gonna make this work, you know, they're gonna figure out how to get other residents to join them. They're, you know, they're gonna grow this place. Yeah. And for a very small moment, there are people who think, oh, the divorce colony is a way to make this happen. Here are Eastern women bringing lots of money into our community. Now, as soon as people like Mary start to arrive and the reporters all start looking at Sioux Falls, <laughs> and the whole country is sort of aghast at what's happening there. Then opinions change really quickly, and, and 
the idea that this is a terrible stain on the city emerges. Right. Um, when it's an economic engine alone, everyone's like, this seems great. As soon as it becomes a point <laughs> of like public relations, yeah, not, not as good. Yeah. I mentioned that Sioux Falls had the best hotel in South Dakota. It was called the Cataract House Hotel. Hmm. And this is where the divorce colonists stayed. Um, so you oh, they were all in one hotel together. Many of them, yes. Oh, yes. wow. I mean, I don't know how much is known about this, but it, it must have been actually really affirming to suddenly be with a lot of other women in your same situation. Uh, you know, were they able to kind of interact with each other or people keep to themselves? What was kind of the scene at that hotel? So, yes, you had a musical performances or dance classes or acting classes. There's a note in one of the newspapers that they spent the day um, sledding down 6th Avenue nearby, you know, or ice skating or picnicking by the river. So nice. you, did, you did have a community that developed here. Um, mm. You know, they're using the same lawyers or talking about different tactics or welcoming other friends from the East who have now decided that right. they're going to leave their husbands and, you know, sort of providing through this kind of whisper network information on how to make this happen. And and did this did this work? I mean, how many women are we talking about? And did they actually succeed in getting in getting divorces? So I should clarify that we are talking about both men and women. Oh, oh, I, oh, really? Oh, okay. I sort of assumed that I assumed it would be easier for men to get divorced. And so Well, yes. Yeah, so um nationwide at this time, we find that two out of every three people seeking a divorce is a woman. Okay. But both men and women do go to Sioux Falls. The difference is People think the women are a tragedy for being there. And they right. just sort of think the men are like, eh, all right, there are also men here. So right. they don't they don't bring the same fear, they don't bring the same approbation to the city that that the women coming do. And yet women are still coming to get these divorces because this is still the best option. How to go back to Mary and Jamie, yeah. how did Jamie feel about all of this? Did he want a divorce too? Or was he kicking and screaming the whole way? He's pretty quiet in the historical record, mm. although he is known throughout his life for being um, pretty easily led by his mother. Uh -huh. It is said that he went after Mary at one point, but was stopped by a member of his family. So... I think he wanted to uh, stay in the marriage, but um, that was not an option for him. Mm. But she and her son, she and Jamie three, go out and they live in Sioux Falls and they wait out their sentence as the 90 days was sometimes known. And eventually <laughs> she files her divorce papers. She does not file it in Sioux Falls. Instead, she files it in Deadwood, South Dakota, which is another 350 miles across the state, all the way in the you know western corner of South Dakota. And so she's willing to go even further because she really, really hopes the newspaper reporters won't follow her. How's that work out? That does not work out for her. <laughs> yeah. there, there are newspaper reporters on the same train with her as she heads out to Deadwood um, with her son and his nurse and, and her Sioux Falls lawyer. So she goes out to Deadwood, and there, there is a public trial. Jamie and his lawyers don't show up. 
But Mary still had to go and sit in this public courtroom in front of what one reporter estimated to be 250 people. Oh my God. Um, and take the witness stand and be questioned uh, by her lawyer and then by the judge. Who are these 250 people? Are these just like like local looky-loos? looky-loos, yeah. Oh, jeez, no. <laughs> I know, I mean, oh. these are some of the most prominent women in the city. Right. These are lots and lots of reporters, right. perhaps one spy for the Blaine family. At least that's what people in the room thought. Okay. Um, but they are people who are fascinated by the Blaine name or by Mary's story or by divorce, but they're, they're going to be a part of this. By all accounts, Mary is a pretty good witness. She's confident and composed when she takes a stand. It's said that the only time that she broke down in tears during the course of the testimony was when they handed her a picture of her son. And she explained that she wouldn't be looking for a divorce at all. She wouldn't need it, whatever. She'd walk away, except that she wanted to have custody of her son. Um, And there's a note from one of the reporters that basically says, even the men in the room very surreptitiously wipe their handkerchiefs across their eyes as well. So she does it. She, she, she sits up there and she kind of goes through all of this sort of horrific process and, and tells her story. Um, how does the case go? What does the judge say? The judge comes to the conclusion that Mary does deserve her divorce. She's also going to get some alimony and she's going to get custody of her son. And she very much needed that alimony, and she very much wanted custody of her son. So she got what she came for. But it's not that easy. Jamie's father, James G. Blaine Sr., uh, is now going to run for president. He's vying for the Republican nomination, uh, which means he is out there in the press all the time. And he is talking about this divorce because he needs to make it Mary's fault so that his family is not to blame. So while she does have what is probably a legal divorce, she doesn't necessarily have acceptance. So what happens after this? What happens to Mary after this divorce? You know, Mary ends up with a happy ending. Uh, She gets remarried. She has another son. They raise both children together. She becomes a leading hostess in Newport. And she really gets the life I think she always wanted when she first married into the Blaine family at age 19. And and what happens to Sioux Falls? What of the divorce colony? Well, we see in Sioux Falls, even when Mary's there, people are trying to make it harder to get a divorce. Uh, and they succeed. So after Mary gets her decree in 1893, the residency requirement in Sioux Falls is lengthened. And we see things go back and forth and it gets easier and it gets harder in Sioux Falls and in other places in the country. But ultimately, what we find is no matter how hard you make it to get a divorce, no matter what kind of barriers you put up, legislative or social or religious or judicial, the women keep coming. They keep looking for this freedom. I have just a, one other question. What happened to, to Jamie? Oh, I like this part of the story. Um, okay, so now we're in 1906. Okay. And Mrs. Jamie Blaine arrives in Sioux Falls. 
It's his second wife, Martha. Oh, no! Jamie, no! Thank you so much to April White for talking to me today about The Divorce Colony. And go buy April's book. It comes out on June 14th. There is a link to order it in the show notes, and it is great. It is a fascinating look into the history of divorce in America. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Witness Docs. This episode was produced by Sarah Wyman. The production team includes Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Willis Ryder Arnold, Baudelaire Seuss, Gianna Palmer, Tracy Samuelson, John Delore, Casey Holford, Peter Clowney. And this episode was sound designed by Manolo Morales and mixed by Luce Fleming. Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I'll see you next time. Witness Docs from Stitcher.